0: On a much, much, much lighter note, I hate germs. I'm a father of four. I've been peed on. I've I've been peed in the eye. Like, you open the diaper up and it's like, bam, you know. Uh, I've been puked on and I've been pooped on. And being someone that hates germs and being a recovering germaphobe, well, that's really bad. And uh, some of you, you, if you're a parent, you work with preschool kids, you feel my pain. You know what it's like when you have a preference or you, you don't like something and then it happens. And for me, that's happened a lot in my life. And it and makes me think back to when my kids were younger. My kids are all 12 and older now. But of my four kids, I had one kid that had an issue of motion sickness. And you guys may have been on road trips before with people that have motion sickness. But it can be a very scary thing, especially when you have a kid who is a serial road trip puker. And I did. I had, uh, my son, Matt, is a serial road trip puker. He was. He's not anymore. Kind of grew past it. But for a while, any trip, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, there was a threat of volcano vomit uh, in the back of our two, two, 2002 Toyota c and I know we rolled in style. But it was a threat of, of volcano vomit, and it was just one of those things where, as a recovering germaphobe, uh, it would cause freak out. It would, it would really illuminate my issues, and some of you understand those issues. And, and so then, as I was thinking back on that story and where we've been in the series and where we're going, I thought of another story that kind of highlighted my issues and the issues I have and the things that I hate and the things that I don't like. And one of those places is public restrooms. I, I just don't like them. like They're probably, to me, the grossest place in the, in the world. I know there's places that are worse, but public restrooms are nasty. And public restrooms, usually at like restaurants like, let's say, Cookout, for instance, not my favorite place to go. Uh, If I could like hold it, I I do uh, because it's just gross. But the second grossest place to that would be like under the table, uh, under the table at Cookout, where people's Feet are and where their food is that they've dropped, the drinks that they spilled, it's just nasty, nasty, nasty. be the second grossest place on the planet. And so, back when our kids were young, uh, my three, my, my daughter May, who's twelve now but was three at the time, had her favorite stuffed animal. She called Love Love. I mean, it was like her her favorite thing, object, person in the world. And and so she dropped Love Love under the table at, at cookout one time, which I was not aware of this, and as we're talking to other people, and we we're hanging out with some friends, I'm looking around, and I don't see my three-year-old, and intuitively, I just decided I would look in the second grossest place in the world, which was under our table, and there she was crawling on the ground, and I remember being so disgusted, and I did what every good husband does, and I blame my wife. I looked at my wife, and I was like, Brooke, gross, sick. She's on the floor. And I'm kind of embarrassed by that, but it it created freakout, anxiety, fear. Like, what am I gonna do? I can't control this situation. She's already in the muck and the mire of the second grossest place in the world underneath a a table, especially one like Cookout. I'm like, could could you just ask for help? But she was three. So I I needless to say I have issues. Um, and a lot of you can understand my issues. You, you think about maybe your, your own struggles and, and what you would, you would throw up here and say, hey, hey I still to go with germs or whatever. But, man, it's caused some, some problems in our family and in my life. But with this series and where we've gone so far, we've talked about cultural issues. And in the same way with these cultural issues that we've talked about, they can create anxiety. They create fear. They create freak out. And I think back to to what we've talked about in this series and the topics we've covered alone have already done that for some people, like politics or gun control or immigration or sexual harassment or racism. Talking about any of those subjects creates freak out, creates fear, anxiety, And so the question we have to ask about those issues we've talked about and the other issues that exist that are happening on a regular basis is why do they happen? Now, I'm going to make a statement that's grossly oversimplified. But the reason this happens is we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that has been tainted by the effects of sin that go way, way back to the beginning. And from the first decision of that man and woman to make a decision to go against God, we now deal with the consequences of sin on a daily basis. And if you look around society, it's not getting any better, which creates more fear, creates more problems, more freak-out moments. And we think about it, there are addiction issues. There are hate issues. There are issues of injustice. There are threats of war all around us. We see school shootings and other shootings, and we, we hear about serial bombers. And it's like every day there's something else that we're presented with that creates anxiety and fear on a, on a brand new level. And, and we don't just experience it in our state, in our nation, but we experience it worldwide. And that creates tension. And there are people on the other sides of issues and the way we see them. And then we have tension with them. And so how do we respond to all that? And one of the the filters that Pastor Jonathan has given us the prior three weeks of this series is, is that we are a Christian first and a citizen second. Now, this only applies if you're a follower of Jesus. But if you're a follower of Jesus, seeing people, seeing issues as a Christian first helps us to deal with them in a way that's pleasing to God and ultimately helps us go in a direction that we want to go. Now, I would say that through this message today and what I present to you, even if you're not a Christian or wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Christ or you'd say, I used to be, I used to believe that, and you're not sure where you are now, that what I suggest as a a solution can be beneficial to you. So before I get there, I want to go way, way, way back in the past to the 1990s. Some of you weren't even born yet. Some of you, you were in diapers. Some of you, you remember the 90s vividly. You remember the, 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 the plaid and, the, and you remember the grunge rock, which was so good. I'm Pearl Jam. It's like, oh, this is amazing. A great era to live in. Um, but anyway, I, I digress. The 1990s, way back in the 1990s, there was, a, there was a Christian youth worker in Holland, Michigan that came up with a bracelet for her youth group to wear to help remind them to be loving wherever they go, to help them to, to remember who they're about and what they're about wherever they go. And it had the letters WWJD. And some of you know what this stands for. It's what would Jesus do, Right? And that sounds so good. What would Jesus do? It sounds so good. And the sentiment behind it, I think, is great. What would Jesus do? But when I really step back and I think about what would Jesus do, well, Jesus could do some really cool stuff that, that I can't do, that I've never seen anybody do. Like, if I could really do what Jesus did, there are some people, not everybody, but there's some people I'd be back from the dead, Right? And, and, and let's just be real. If I could do what Jesus did, I would jump in my truck and I would drive to Moses Cone Hospital today. And, and not you know, not to be a weird here, but I'd walk down the hallway and it's like, you're healed. You are healed. You are healed. You are healed. And, and I, would, I would go and I would heal people at the hospital because Jesus literally did that. Or maybe on a little bit of a lighter note, I would decide, hmm, I love hamburgers and my friends love hamburgers, I'm going to multiply hamburgers for my friends and service today. And my friends would love me. You guys would love me. Oh, ham- man, man, this is the best hamburger I've ever had. He could multiply food. Or, or better yet, I would go, after this service, I'd go drive over to, to, to any of the lakes nearby, and I would walk on one side to the other and I'd say, "Hey, hey I want you to video me um, I, to one of my family members video of me walking on one side of the lake to the other or I'd just stand in the water in the bathtub and be like, "Yes, this is so cool. I could just stand on the water. I can walk on water. I would do that. I, I know that's crazy, but I would do that. or best yet, I would be like the man because I would I would go to a party and I'd say, you got any water you got any you water? got any water?" water? i go to a party and ask, "Do you got any water?" And then I would go, bam, best wine you've ever had. And then people would be like, oh, we need to invite Brian to every party. Eh, let's make sure he's on the guest list. Water into wine. What would Jesus do? I mean, it's a great question, but we haven't really ever seen or experienced someone doing that. So I, I, I kind of stepped back from that, and I was like, is there a better question we could ask? And I think there is, and I'm gonna share it with you. It's a question of, What would Jesus have me do? Or what would Jesus have you do? Because here's here's the thing. That that doesn't really fit well in a bracelet, and and it's hard to remember all those letters. But it's a great question to ask, what would Jesus have me do? And and so to kind of dig into this and to to discover what Jesus would have us do in a culture that's full of anxiety and fear and freak-out opportunities... We're going to look at a guy who created chaos, who created problems, who created messes everywhere he went in culture until he had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And when he had this life-changing encounter with Jesus, it changed the direction of his life. So much so that he wrote more books that are contained in the New Testament than any other person. And we talk about this guy a lot here, but his name was Paul. And he wrote this letter that we're going to look at today to a church in Corinth called 1 Corinthians. It's a letter of 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth in the first century. And the words contained in this letter, we often associate with weddings. We often associate with, oh, that's so poetic. That's so sweet. That's so nice. And then uh, we just move on. But there's so much depth and meaning to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So to get us rolling, we're going to look at the first verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And he says this, or he writes this. If I could speak in all the languages of the earth, which would be pretty cool, and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Think about the most repetitive, annoying noise. Just fixate on it. Ugh. And maybe for you, it's just tapping. You know anybody that does that? It's like, stop! Or or, or maybe it's how some people chew. There's some people when they chew, when they chew gum or they chew food. It's like you're not a cow. Okay, you don't have to eat it like that. You can actually close your mouth when you chew. Now, what he's saying is that talent, having having the ability to speak all the languages, talent. Minus Love is annoying. It's just annoying. And it made me think back to when I was 10 years old, and I had the opportunity to meet someone that was famous. Uh, This guy won a couple Super Bowls as a player. He's won a Super Bowl as an executive, famous NFL player. And I was so excited. I paid for the opportunity to meet this guy and to get his autograph. And I remember getting to my place in line, and I was kind of nervous and you know what it's like when you meet someone who's famous, and it's like, oh, he's going to sign my autograph. And so he's signing his, or signed his autograph on my poster, and, and and I remember getting it and trying to talk to him, and he pretty much said, just get along, move along, kid. And 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 just how he treated me made the value of that poster go way down for me. I eventually, not that long after it, threw that away because it didn't have value to me. Because talent minus love, it's just plain annoying. Paul continues to write. He said, if I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, now imagine possessing all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. Now, God's math is interesting here because we just looked at talent minus love, Equals annoying. But then he says it another way. Talent plus understanding plus knowledge plus faith equals zero. Adds up to zero. God's math. You take love out of the equation, zero. He goes on to write this. This is strong. Think about this for a second. Giving everything you have if I gave everything I have to the poor and I even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Sacrifice plus giving minus love adds up to zero. God's math. Pretty easy to remember, but wow, strong statement. But then Paul shifts here and he talks about what love is. And, and so he, he starts with this idea that love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. Now, I want you to just stop there for a second. Sometimes I wonder, why do we read this at weddings? Because I feel like we set up the couples to fail. <laughs> uh, you think about that for a second. And then, it's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. Do you know anybody that keeps records of being wronged? Right, you don't, you don't know anybody who's historical, right, in your, in your family? Remember when? Remember when, you did, remember when you did this? You know exactly what I'm talking about. And he's saying love doesn't do that. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Let me say that again. It does not rejoice about injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. And then he writes, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And I read all that and I go, whoa, wouldn't you want to be loved like that? That's how God loves you. That's a pretty mind-blowing thought. And then that's how we then are charged to love others. It's crazy. And then he finishes it this way. Now we see things imperfectly. Like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then one day we will see everything with perfect clarity. When when God, when He returns and Jesus returns, and He establishes a new earth, we will see things as they are. We we will not be on all these sides of the different issues. It'll be very clear, it'll be plain as to what reality is and what truth is. But until that time, we see things as a puzzle and it's unclear. But he finishes this way: these things will last forever. Faith. Hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And I like this so much because it says, these things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. God's math. Faith, hope, and love equals infinity. It lasts forever. Powerful statements about what love is and how anything minus love amounts to nothing. So the question we have to ask is, what would Jesus have me do with the issues that we run into and that we face that create fear, anxiety, and freak out type moments? And the answer is very simple, yet very difficult. And the answer is, he would have us do the most loving thing. Whatever it is, whomever it is, whenever it is, Whatever situation, the most loving thing. And unfortunately for people who associate with Jesus and say, I'm a follower of Jesus, for too long we've been known for the things we're against. I mean, would, wouldn't you agree? You, you probably know some people. Maybe you've been one of those people. You, you've been known for what you're against. Wouldn't it be incredible if we began to stand for the rights and the needs and the benefit of others, even those who disagree with us, what kind of impact could we have to stand for the rights, needs, and benefit of others? I mean, isn't that exactly what Jesus did? Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he gave his life so we would be forgiven of our sins. He gave us his love. In other words, he he was the most powerful man in the universe And he leveraged his power. He leveraged his influence. He leveraged his strength for us, for others. When he had every right to demand his own way and to say, fall into line. But We just read love does not demand its own way. The most powerful man in the universe leveraged his power for others. what I want to challenge you to do is to begin thinking about this in terms of of a prayer. That when you're faced with a situation of someone that's on the other side of an issue and maybe they see things differently than you, is is God, what is the most loving thing I can do in this situation? What What is the most loving approach I can take to this person? What is the most loving thing I can do? If you begin to look at things that way, what could God do in and through you I believe it could be incredible things. And as we start to think about putting this into action, let me just say this, we believe that sharing the love of Jesus is what we're all about here at the Summit Church. It begins with receiving his love and then sharing his love. But sharing the love of Jesus, it's something that we oftentimes, we, we boil down to an event. Like, if you serve here on a Sunday in any of our ministries, we think that's fantastic. We think you should do that. We think everybody should serve. You get to meet people. You get connected. And and amazing things can happen in your life and can be unlocked when you put other people first. But it's not just about an event. It's not just about Sunday. Sunday's a launching pad for for the rest of of the week. Sharing the love of Jesus is not an event. It's a lifestyle. I want to say that again. Sharing the love of Jesus is not just an event. It's a lifestyle. And if you begin to put this into action in your everyday life, God will unlock some incredible things in you and through you. And for some of you, this means doing some things differently. It means that maybe there's a long overdue phone call you need to make. Anytime you feel a prompting inside by God's spirit or by your conscience to do something and you ignore it, it can take you down a bad road. But I would say this morning, if you feel that prompting that, hey, I need to make that phone call, my challenge is to do it because it's the most loving thing you could do. Or it may be, you know what? I've offended somebody and I, I need to apologize. When you, when you say yes to, to sharing love with Jesus in that manner, you unlock a new direction. For yourself, It may may be one of the hardest things you do, but yet one of the most freeing and liberating things you do when you say yes to sharing the love of Jesus by saying, I'm going to go with what he impressed upon me. And it it may be something like, you know what? I've got a neighbor and they have an illness and I can help them. And so I'm going to go help my neighbor that has an illness. I'm going to go and offer what I can offer them and whatever talent and gifts that God's given me. Or it could be a friend or a person you go to school with. That that has been struggling with a family problem. And they, they need connection. They, they need someone that will listen to them and hear them out. You are perfectly positioned to go do that. And one of the things that we want to do is we want to help you communicate to people that they matter. And so as you leave the services today, we're going to put in your hands a card that says you matter. And the idea behind this card is that you can give this to someone um, to communicate to them that they, they matter. And on the inside, there's a place to put a gift card. And I want to challenge you not to put in, like, here's a $1 Frosty. You matter. No, no, no. Go big. Put in, put in a gift card to their favorite restaurant. Or, or put in a gift card to, to, a, to a night out at the movies. Or if you know they're struggling with, with uh, transportation and, and getting places and, and just finances overall, maybe it's a gas card. But you have people around you who are hurting or have been hurt by somebody. You, maybe they've been hurt by the church. Maybe they've been hurt by you. I want to challenge you to do something, not just feel something. And so as you leave the day, we're going to give you that card. And and it may be that card is what you need to do. It may be making that phone call, giving that apology, reaching out to that neighbor, or reaching out to that friend, or whomever it may be. But God has uniquely placed you where you are to leverage your power, to leverage your talent, to leverage what he's given you on behalf of others. That's what Jesus would have you do. That's the most loving thing. And as we go into to finishing our time this morning, I recently stumbled upon a quote and it's become one of my favorite quotes. It's a quote that I really like because it's my favorite football team's mantra for 2018. And if you don't know who they are, it's the Georgia Bulldogs. Love them. And their coach put this out recently, but he, it wasn't original to him. It was, this quote comes from leadership guru John Maxwell. But this quote fits so well to to where we've been today and where we're gonna go and putting into action what I'm talking about. And the quote is this Change is inevitable, but growth is optional. See, when it comes to the issues in our culture, there's gonna be more bad breaking news. And you're gonna to wanna to break bad on somebody, especially if they're on the other, issue, other side of the issue than where you are. That's just human nature. And fear and anxiety and freak out creep up. But wouldn't it be amazing if instead of defending our own rights and demanding our own way, if we flipped it and we said, you know what? We're gonna know that change is coming. Bad breaking news is gonna happen this week. There's gonna be something else. But instead of doing what I've always done, I'm gonna grow. And I'm going to do the next most loving thing. What could happen? A couple weeks ago, I was sitting with our impact and tech director and lighting director in Kernersville, Paxton Hammond. If, if, if there's someone you need to pray for, it's Paxton. I mean, he's doing three jobs, right? That's a lot. But Paxton, uh, he's a great guy. and We were talking about some of these heart level issues and how we respond to situations and sometimes I don't respond as I've already told you in the best way. I have my own freak out moments. But he told a story that left a profound impact on me. And he told me that when he was 16, he went to go see his dad. And his dad had moved into a brand new apartment. And, and in this apartment, his dad wanted to make sure that when Paxton came for visits, it had all of Paxton's favorite things. Well, Paxton, like any good North Carolina boy, has a favorite drink, and it's cheer wine. You guys all know that, right? Every North Carolina boy likes cheer wine. And so Paxton's dad would always had plenty of cheer wine in the, in the kitchen refrigerator. Paxton goes and he sees his dad, pulls out what I would imagine to be a 32 ounce cup, takes the cheer wine, fills it up way too, way too high. I mean, all the way almost to the top. Paxton goes to join the rest of his family in their family room, and as he's walking toward toward where he's going to sit, he comes to the edge of the carpet, and you know what happens next. He trips, and his cup propels in the air, and cheer wine goes all over the brand new white carpet in this apartment. And he, Paxton does what every kid does in that moment when their parent is in the room and they see them do something like that he looks at his dad and I imagine on some level he's kind of like what is going to happen and his dad says without missing a beat well I guess we're going to need to clean that up, grab some towels begins to clean up the mess and Paxton's like why, why didn't you get angry with me why didn't you get mad at me His dad said, what good would that do? And when Paxton told me that story, it deeply smacked me in the face in a good way because quite often I haven't reacted the way I needed to. It's kind of interesting that very same day in our pantry, I'm sitting in our kitchen and I hear a loud, pow! Sitting at the kitchen table with my two daughters, they're like, what was that? I said, I don't know. I, I, think, I guess it was ice from the outside because we have snow in spring. But it's like, I, I, don't, I don't know what, what it was. And later on, one of my daughters walked into our pantry and the other was like, oh, don't come in here, Dad. Don't come in here, Dad. We, we know what that noise was. And what had happened is my son Matt had left the sugar on the edge of the pantry um, shelf. And the sugar had fallen off and popped and went all over the pantry. And sugar's hard to clean up. But because of what Paxton had shared with me that day, I didn't freak out. Because I thought about the example his dad set for him that freaking out does no good. And so in that moment, I even thought about what would be the most loving thing for me to do. And so I tell you that because There's going to be more bad breaking news. There's going to be more opportunities for fear, anxiety, and for you to freak out. But I want to challenge you to respond in a way that's loving. Understanding that change is inevitable, but growth is optional. Choose growth. Do the next most loving thing, whatever that is. I'd like to pray for you. God, we thank you so much for this amazing group of people. And we thank you for Jesus and his example of love. We thank you that he leveraged his power, he leveraged his strength, he leveraged everything he had to give us life. And he he gave us a platform where we are, to leverage our power and our strength on behalf of others, no matter where they are on the issues that we face in culture. So I pray you would propel us to do the next most loving thing, whatever it is, wherever we go, with whomever we're with. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.